You're listening to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. Content warning may contain early 90s Mark Hamill. Hello and welcome to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. I'm Hypnopotamus Rex and joining me is Carmen Ranger. My man, how are you doing? I'm doing. How's you doing? I'm incredibly hungover, thank you very much. This episode we are supposed to be talking about the Giver films, but, you know, I'm just way too out of it because I pounded way too many margaritas last night. So, yeah, this podcast is cancelled. Um, thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, whatever. Have a nice day. Gotcha. Yeah, as my uh, as my colleague uh, mentioned, we're talking about the Giver movies. I love these things, even if they're not particularly well known anymore or liked either. They are an absolute joy for me in different ways. I've got a little, I've got a funny um, kind of anecdote regarding the Giver. Uh, I work with a guy whose surname is Giver, and he much prefers it when people call him Giver. <laughs> he does not know about this manga. He, he he now knows about it after I mentioned it to him. But I, by by default, I only ever call him by his first name, even though he prefers his surname, because that that little nugget in my mind dedicated to remembering the sound of Giver is so preoccupied with a bioweapon manga that I just I can't associate it with my. <laughs> With this, you know, lovely guy I work with who's just really nice and I've never seen him decapitate a monster once. Well, that's disappointing. So for those <laughs> listening who aren't aware of the Giver, please fill us in on what it is. Uh, so, you're like, uh, you're like Carmen Ryder, right? Yeah. Imagine that, but without all the uh, the hokiness of, of old showa stuff and an overarching plot and gore. And there you go. Uh, that's basically it. It was... Um, it's a manga from the 80s. It's still going on today, despite the fact that it's been going on for, like, 40-odd uh, years now, because the author keeps going on hiatus due to, I think, it's it's health complications, unfortunately. And last I checked, I think it was said that he ref- just refuses to use any assistance, and so he's he'll just periodically go on hiatus for years on end, and then come back with a chapter or so, and then go back. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what's the plot of the Giver? What exactly is going on in this universe that makes it the uh, action-packed body horror romp that you love so much? Uh, so the the basic premise is, is this kid gets uh, it comes across a fruit roll-up with his friend in, in the forest. He picks it up and it slaps itself inside of him, and now he can he can he can kill things real good, and monsters attack him, and he kills them real good. And then this this big shadowy organization wants the fruit roll up that he's got because it's so it's so juicy, and he uh, he goes on the run with all the friends who've been implicated in the, uh, the this conspiracy, and along the way he kills people real good. That's a story. Okay. <laughs> Would you say that the real Giver is the body count we made along the way? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm deliberately underselling it. it. It's fantastic. It is. I've not read much of the manga yet. I have watched the 2005, I think it is, um, anime, which gets up to the bit where Giver Gigantic is involved, is introduced. And to basically um, explain what that is, Giver Gigantic is power armor for power armor. Okay. It's amazing. 
It's dumb as hell. And then it just ends. Unfortunately, because I mean, I think I don't even think that the manga was they caught up to the manga by that point. But they they get to this point where the bad guys have won. The world they they've openly taken over the world, and it, the heroes are all reunited and they're able to um, plan like a counteroffensive. But the bad guys have still won, and I don't I don't dislike that. But knowing that that's not how the story is meant to end, just bugs me a little bit. But from now on, whenever I refer to quote unquote the original, I'm referring to the anime, which follows the um, which follows the original manga a lot more closely than the previous anime or the OVA, with a few details that have been switched around a little bit. Uh, Guyver Two lasts a lot longer than he does in the manga, but it's for the most part pretty yeah pretty accurate. Speaking of the uh, the manga, the only way to get it in the West is either track down some 90s releases of it um, from, I think it was Viz who did that release, and then stopped and didn't do any more. Or you could find the fan group that was doing it, and I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but for a while they were making it so that to get their translations of it, you had to physically buy a release of it from Japan and then prove it to them, and then they would sell... Uh, not sell you, they would send you the... Um, the fanlation of it. Wow. Oh yeah. I've never seen a group do that before. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's not. They're not even making money off of it. I think it, it's meant to be so that you know the original author gets money from it. What if you get it from a secondary seller? You know that that money's mm. not going to him. Either way, I mean, people leak it anyway. Uh, I'm not even sure if that group is still the primary ones doing the Giver. Um, last I checked, I checked on Mangadex. They're pretty up to date on it, so I'm definitely going to read some because I love me some Giver, and I want to. I want to know where the story progresses beyond Giver Gigantic. Damn it! I want to see how they win. I want to see them beat people. Okay, so the premise for this is that mankind were initially created as a bioweapon, weren't they? And yep. so the uh, <clears throat> the eponymous Giver is actually a suit of power armor for humans, isn't it? They're supposed to be used in some sort of um, alien war initially, right? Not quite. The um, humans are a bioweapon created by the um, uh, created by these ancient aliens who came down to Earth and for millions upon millions and millions of years uh, have been kind of influencing how life has developed on Earth and engineering extinction events when they're not happy with it. Do you think they arranged 2020? Oh, that would explain so much. Uh, they're named after Uranus, who... Haha, <laughs> Uranus. Bum. Uh, <laughs> I hate that planet. Uh, is is this it? what we've become? Is it now just butt jokes? Yes, butt jokes. In the jokes. last episode, we were making genital references. We're just going through everything. We're six. Yep. And, yeah, butts are funny. So they're named after Uranus, who... Or Uranus, however you pronounce... However you want to pronounce it. Isn't the um, Roman analogy Saturn? No, not Saturn, is it? My knowledge of Roman pantheons isn't the best, unfortunately. Uh, I know the Greek one more than the Roman... uh, Whatever. Uh, Who's the father of Kronos, who uh, is is the namesake of the evil organisation in this. Um, They they created mankind as a bioweapon, and they left kind of dormant instructions in our DNA that can be triggered to create different kinds of monsters called the zoonoids and ah. 
then one of them decided, hey, you know what would be pretty cool? We put one of these monkeys in our uh, in, in our in our special protective suit. That'd be a bit of a laugh, wouldn't, right. it? wouldn't it, lads? Wouldn't it, lads? Eh? And so they put a monkey in their Giver suits. They weren't called Giver suits up until then because Giver in their language means out of control. And the mm. the the suit, the G unit, uh, made it so that the aliens could no longer kind of psychically control the human it had bonded to, and it ended up just. I think it destroyed one of the ships, and after they managed to get it off with this uh, weapon that comes into play later on in the series, they just kind of wrote Earth off as a bit of a mistake and left. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I love it. I absolutely adore that their millennia-long plans were ruined because one of them decided to put a monkey in a suit. So tell me more about the Zoonoids, because that's a really funky name for something. Um, the effort put into the suits for the Zoonoids Ooh. in the Gaiva films are incredible. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, what exactly are these monsters? Uh, they're, they're basically a form that humans can be transmuted into to grant them different kinds of abilities. Um, they range from just normal punchy, slashy, bitey, big, strong monster man thing to having like bio lasers in the shoulders and like acidic enzymes that they can... It, it's... You get some real crazy ones, and they can be augmented into hyper-zoonoids, um, and then you get zoolords on top of that, and then you get um, the, the big boss zoolord, who's even more powerful than that. Uh, there's a whole kind of tier, kind of hierarchy to them all, and anything lower than the others can be psychically controlled by them. Uh, they're basically just the, the monsters of the week, and the less powerful ones stand-ins for the mooks as well. So enough about the backstory to Scientology, let's get into the Giver. So, the first film. I remember watching this with you. It was one Halloween party, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. That was my choice. Yes, we could tell. Um, alongside... Oh, we also watched Reanimator then, didn't we? Hell yes, we did. Coincidentally, did both too. starring Jeffrey Combs. Yes, Jeffrey Combs is the, the true star of this this movie. Yes, it's a shame he's only there in the end, literally as a character called Dr. East. Dr. East. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Thanks, <laughs> Brian Usner. Thank you. I just, I can appreciate why they did the reference, but he kind of felt a bit unnecessary there. Fight Look, me. I Just give me some, give me some more reasons to use Jeffrey Combs. Put him in a Giver. I want, I want a manlet <laughs> Giver. <laughs> Look, at, at that point in the movie, anything goes, really. It's it just... Yeah, the, the tone in this movie is all over the... No, actually, it's not all over the place. It's pretty consistent, and that consistency is camp. And usually, I enjoy a bit of camp. I have no issue with it. But it, it's when it's at the detriment of the source material because the original Giver is quite, quite dark. There's a bit where the main hero gets half his skull and brain ripped out by a zoonoid that had been made out of his father. And so the suit takes over and makes him kill his father. And the yeah, once his brain's grown back, uh, he has a bit of a, you know, a bit of a crisis because he's torn his dad in half. Again, like I said, totally very different to the original. So, Jeffrey Combs cameo? Yeah, at this point it may as well happen. 
The only way they could do it is a little camp, because frankly, it's a big story. It's a story that, in order to get the full scope of it, you'd need a big budget. And the problem with these films is they operated on a smaller budget, but they allocated the budget very well. They put everything into the suit design, and their attempt at storytelling did work for a standalone pair of films, but it's just an odd story to try and make a proper movie out of. The first one began with an opening crawl that straight up said, Aliens, Zoonoids, these are the bad guys. We can't really show any of this, but uh, here's some text on a screen. We're going to Star Wars it. It's an interesting choice to have a text crawl in a movie ostensibly starring Mark Hamill. I say ostensibly because they, uh, <laughs> oh. they really do push him on the poster. I completely forgot he was in that movie. I didn't. The man turns into a cockroach at the end. It's very hard to forget that. So, yeah, you, you mentioned the budget of this movie. I know exactly how much it cost. $3 million. Or in today's money, that is $5,874,799.11. Good to see that you factored the cents into it. <laughs> now, for, uh, for contrast, an episode of Big Bang Theory costs $9 million. Bazinga. That is uh, incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's a lot of money for us, but from a film production standpoint, that's a very tiny budget for Tokusatsu. Mm. Especially when the main appeal of these adaptations is the practical effects, it's the suit design. True, but, so the directors of this movie were Screaming Mad George, that's his name, and Steve Wang. Screaming Mad George. Yeah, the man's name is Screaming Mad George. This was an intentional choice on his part, his parents weren't unusually cruel, don't worry. Uh, so, two... I'm, I'm just curious now, is this something that he'd actually changed his name to? Oh, yes. So his surname is George, and his first name is Screaming Mad? Yes. No, it's his his first name is Screaming, his middle name is Mad, and his surname is George. Middle name, okay. Uh, he was born Joji Tani, and he was from Osaka. <laughs> he named himself George to stand out in Japan, and then he moved to the United States and realized, mm. oh no, there are multiple Georges now. So he named himself Screaming Mad to differentiate himself from all the other Georges. Scream. <laughs> I like how UK if you don't factor in the middle name, you get Screaming George. And <laughs> that is just an amazing name. Like, just, how do they, I mean, surely they'd speak to him, they'd address him by, surely they'd address him by his surname, so they would just call him George. If you have renamed yourself Screaming Mad George, there is no way that you're not insisting on people refer to you by your full title. Screaming Mad George. I'm just impressed at the balls on him for doing that. I can yeah. I can understand changing his name to a more Western one to stand out in Japan, but just Screaming Mad George. That, how are you going to get a, a, a normal job? Like You're going well, to need a decent background in something to have that experience to be able to say, yeah, I'm just going to change my name to Screaming Mad George, and my career is not going to suffer from this. You're absolutely right, he did. He has a good background in special effects and makeup. He was involved in Big Trouble in Little China, Predator, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, Arena, Society, Bride of Reanimator, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Freak, Children of the Corn 3, Space Truckers, Progeny, oh, Faust, Love of the Damned, Noise, and Beyond Reanimator. Okay, so a lot of involvement with Jeffrey Combs' projects. <laughs> uh, Steve Wang um, directed... Rollerblade 2, Kung Fu Rascals, 
Gypher and Gypher 2, Drive, not not that Drive, a few episodes of Power Rangers Lost Galaxy, Kung Pao Enter the Fist as second unit director, and Kamen Rider Dragon Knight. Oh, he was also wow. The, he was also the producer on Dragon Knight and Dark Hero. Okay, that's kind of impressive for Screaming Mad Wang. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> that's a team who's also produced by Brian Usner, hence the camp and the uh, reanimator influences. Bless that insane man. He's, the film stars, and I say stars because he gets top billing, Mark Hamill as CIA agent man. I refuse to learn his name because he's played by Mark Hamill, so he's just Mark Hamill to me. Oh yeah, um, you've got to if you've got Mark Hamill in it, you've got to add him as the main cell. I wonder how much he made from that film. He must have been paid a decent chunk of that budget. I wouldn't say so. This is this isn't modern Mark Hamill we're talking about. This is nineties Mark Hamill. This is before Batman the Animated Series. This is after Star Wars is all over. This is Oh, so he's trying is, to take whatever scraps of work he can yeah, find. This is, this is take where you can get Mark Hamill. <laughs> sort of in the middle of washing up, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it also stars Vivian Wu as Mizki. Not Mizuki, Mizki. Anytime this particular character, this particular version of the character's name is spelt, it's M I Z K Y. Completely missing out the U and the I. It. It just bugs me as all. So Mizki, uh, Jack Armstrong plays uh, Sean Barker, our version of Sho Fukamachi or the Giver. David Gale is our villain, and my word, is he perfect in this movie? He was also the villain in Reanimator. You know. The, wow. Uh, okay, yeah. that's quite insane. The number of comparisons we're getting here. Yeah, and Michael Berryman. Is Liska. Oh, I love Michael Berryman. I adore Michael Berryman, and he is the character he plays is nothing like the original counterpart, but he is so much fun. Both he and David Gale are nothing like well, none, none of these characters are like the original versions. But David Gale and Michael Berryman are fun to watch, and none of the others are. For those who aren't aware, Michael Berryman is an actor who is known for his uh, unique anatomy, so it's some sort of condition where he's very tall, has a very unique face, and has no hair, teeth, or... Does he have... Did he have fingernails? No fingernails. No fingernails. So, yeah, he was very much typecast as monstrous figures. He was in The Hills Have Eyes. Mm. He, he's one of those people where you can recognise him immediately. And oh, yeah. isn't, it, isn't it that he actually enjoys being cast in those roles? It would be a bit sad if he didn't. Man. I mean, I'm looking at his IMDb page now, and he's doing some stuff that's in production, just about finishing it. So, yeah, it's good to see that he's getting work. And, I mean, it is a very unique gimmick, that sort of appearance, so it definitely guarantees him work. Yeah, uh, when when you have such a, uh interesting and unique appearance, you kind of can't help but get work, you know? It's, um... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for him. Doug Jones. He's made it work. Yeah, Doug Jones. That's a lanky man. Yeah, he has made a lot of money from his lank and ability to act in suits in in movies where he doesn't actually speak the language, and also to not be able to see. So the man's great. We need Doug Jones in a Guyver film. I'd be down to clown with that. But needless to say, other than. A few handfuls. No one in this movie has done really much. I checked out the IMDb page of Jack Armstrong, and it's 
it's just like one episode appearances on different TV shows. Wow. Yeah. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I had to go on IMDb. He didn't even get into the second movie. He was played by... <laughs> he was replaced by David Hayter. Oh, it, they should have gone with David Hayter to begin with. But more on that when we talk about the second movie. So the first movie is... It starts off fairly decently. I mean, so the opening for The Giver is basically um, a, a scientist or a someone from Kronos has escaped with a or multiple Giver units. It's one in this version. In the original, it was three. So he escapes with them, trying to get them to... In the movie, It's he, he's trying to get them to the um, CIA so they can investigate and stuff like that. Um, and they're being he's being pursued by Kronos, obviously once the Gavian is back, because they're super powerful. They they they're aware from what alien stuff they've dug up, what the dealio is with them, and they want to use them for their own machinations. And once he's lost the units and has been killed, that's when Sho or Sean comes into the picture and accidentally gets bonded to it and becomes the Giver and starts you know killing people real good. Killing people real good. In the original. Kronos employs a crack team of highly trained uh, operatives who are all able to turn into horrible, grotesque monsters and are basically living weapons. In the movie, they have goons. And there is a big difference between mooks and goons. Mooks can be professionals. The thing that makes them a mook is the large quantities and relative weakness compared to the hero. Goons, on the other hand, are goofy and ineffective. Not you would not trust weakness. superpowers to a goon. Yes. So you got a, a goon squad led by Michael Berriman's Lisker, who in the original was a uh, an investigator from head from the Kronos head offices, who would oversee um, transport of sensitive materials and would also investigate and inspect um, different branches of Kronos to make sure they're up to scratch. He actually became Giver Two briefly, but because that particular Giver unit was damaged, it ate him. Metal. Yeah, the little, um, the silver glowing orb on the forehead is the control metal, and not only does that allow the the G unit to take shape as a Giver suit, it also stops the Giver from eating its host. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's 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 a thing that is a risk. Both the uh, yeah, both the original Giver two and the um, the OVA exclusive female Giver two get eaten. As a side note, if you don't like tentacles, don't watch the OVA because her transformation sequence it's pretty explicit that she gets tentacles up the butt. Lovely. Um, oh yeah, this that, is that's... turning into a yeah. <laughs> if you like, if you have a bunch of freaky fetishes, watch the anime. Yeah. If you it like Michael Berryman, OVA. watch the movies. He's better than any porn. I really liked him in that role. He could do imposing because he he has that kind of uh, figure and uh, the goons themselves were just fairly generic. I mean, you have... My you God, have I can't remember them. All I remember is girl, there's a girl one. You have one, fat man, you have black like, man. Yeah, I like That's how... Um, oh, man. But the token black guy, though, I... Are we talking, God, about, when we are watched... we talking about minstrel gremlin? Yes, we're talking about the minstrel gremlin zoonoid. Yeah, so imagine a gremlin from from Gremlins, but you take you you give him big, really big lips, and he's <laughs> voiced by a black man in monster form, and his human form is black, and he raps, and he wears an unk chain around his neck, and he also has um, a 
pendant with the pic- a picture of Africa on it in like red, yellow, and black and green. It's it's, it's the most beautiful example of a stereotype. I mean, just I can understand everything else as like, yeah, okay, fine. Look, he's black, but the great big old pair of lips. Yeah, the massive I, lips that just make you think. Hang on, are you sure this isn't racist? Is I that always, so in in the manga? No, no, is there a big old racist no, stereotype? Zoanoid. No. I always I I always try to assume the best of people, especially in in situations like this. I always try to assume ignorance rather than malice. But my goodness, it's it's interesting, very interesting that they chose to go for big lips on the black one. They have a very fat man who is in it and his monster form isn't that fat. Side note, he's also played by the guy who voiced Skybite in the English dub of Transformers Robots in Disguise. That's got nothing Ah. to do with much of anything but I really like Skybite. Correction, I I love Skybite. He's a good boy. He writes haikus and he doesn't deserve to be beholden to Megatron. Does he have a great big pair of lips? Uh, No, no. He's a great big heart. It's not enough. You've got to have the big racist lips to be featured on this podcast. To hell with your skybite. Yeah, that, that's that tangent. Um, it would have been weird if we didn't mention it because it's just so egregious. If you have watched we have, this it's, movie, it's an elephant it's in the room right, for sure. It, yeah, it's right there. You can't not notice it. I can see what you mean now about the camp focus for this. Yes. He, he raps. He doesn't even rap. He just says verses. And there's this bit where he, they're chasing our protagonists and he just stumbles into a, a filming location and they treat him like he's the, the monster and then they just do nothing with it and they move on. Wow. I mean, yeah, you've really got to have some light-hearted moments in this film because it can get dark. It has a lot of body horror in it. You see Mark Hamill turn into a cockroach monster. Yes, I, I really don't like that transformation sequence, actually, because it, it plays on a very irrational, real fear of mine of being transformed into something grotesque. That's why I can't watch and won't watch Human Centipede or or even Tusk. I, oh, I, man. Yeah. I was going to make a Kafka reference because obviously yes. there's that element of it. Oh, yeah, the cockroach. Yeah. 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 That, that's a thing Just... that genuinely bothers me and gets under my skin. I cannot and will not. Fly 2 as well, the ending for that, I despise that. The the mm. Giver is the only film I can tolerate it in because it's Mark Hamill that it's happening to and of all the other stuff that's happened in this movie kind of offsets that particular it, it doesn't even it doesn't even contribute to the plot any. There's there's no fight scene where where Sean is like, No, no Mark Hamill, I won't fight you. You've been a supporting character throughout this film that I'm meant to care about. I will not fight you. He's just forced to transform. And and then dies immediately. Because he wasn't in the vat for very long. Yes. I mean, fine. But at the same time, why, why, why? Why waste the budget on it? Yeah, they made that monster specifically just for that scene. They even had a Mark Hamill face for it. Like the yeah. eyes and the upper part of the nose. Just to add to the body horror. Just to make it seem like there's still a bit of him there. And it's morbid as hell. It's also featured in the second film as like a background zoonoid and a flashback, isn't it? So yeah, the, the plot for this movie is not particularly in-depth. Um, Sean Barker is just your average milk toast, karate-learning man-child who... Want a, I, don't, I don't know if he and Mizki 
are actually dating or if he just wants to date her. They never really confirm either way. They, they never act like they're actively dating throughout this movie. Uh, her father is a scientist who escaped and smuggled the G-Unit out and then got killed. Um, Kronos figures out that she's involved, so they send Zoonoids to kidnap her. Um, by this point, Sean has got the Gaiva unit embedded in him. Um, he fights a street gang who act like a person who has never seen a street gang thinks a street it's gang the acts. the whitest thing. Uh, barely any of them are actually white. There's an Asian one, there's a Hispanic one. I think one of them's white. Um, well, I mean, it's the whitest concept for a gang. Ah, uh, yes. Especially in the right. 90s. It's like saying that rap is... Uh, a personality trait or giving a zoonoid a great big pair of uh, minstrel lips so I'm surprised that he didn't try and eat a watermelon while transformed let's just make it even more racist, come on you see, that, that's that's why I think this was an act of ignorance rather than malice it, there, yeah. there's a bit right at the end between um, that particular monster and a recurring character who is played by a black actor and they're stood next to each other. And I, I'm, when I'm watching, I'm watching the ending of this movie. And I'm just thinking to myself: Does how does that actor feel about being stood next to this? Like he mm. he has to realize what it's a caricature of. How how does he? Did he ever raise a complaint about it and just say, "Hang on, isn't this a little bit offensive?" Yeah. Don't worry, we're two white guys on the internet. Let's be offended for you. This oh, is I'm now a social justice podcast. Fine, I'll be offended for your sake as well. Thank you, White Knight. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, so the, the plot is not in-depth. Basically, um, an issue... The biggest issue with this is that Sean Barker is a very... Um, he's not a very... Progr- I was about to say progressive, but that's got different connotations these days. He's not. A, he doesn't progress the plot, basically. Oh, he does not, proactive. He's not the drive... Yeah, proactive, that's, that's it, yeah. He, he does not... He doesn't drive things forward. He reacts to what is going on around him. Other people drive it forward. He just kind of bumbles and bimbles along with the wind until he bimbles into a fight and gets his control metal ripped out and dies. And then That's always everyone... the problem with superhero films, though, in that there's always the awkward beginning, which I kind of hate. It's like I didn't really enjoy Iron Man that much because a lot wow. of it was, it was all just intro. It was all just like, okay, I want to see the hero doing cool things. I don't really care about like how they're getting on and learning stuff. I'm like, no, I just just give me some more action. I don't want this rubbish about them trying to figure out their powers. No, just just give me the action. Let them be badass. Okay, in in principle, I do agree with you, but specifically for Iron Man, I really liked that kind of build up bit to it. I I agree that it is all build up. But mm. at least, the, at least the stuff in the cave is, yeah, you know, where he builds his suit with a box of scraps. Well, that's an impressive scene. Yeah, that's that's a really nice sequence. I, but yeah, I I do get what you mean. Like every Spider-Man reboot has that kind of except except for the new one. Actually, they they just completely forego that. Um, Fantastic Four. Yeah. For Iron Man, it took three films to get a proper Iron Man film. The first one was like, hey, look, this is going to be our startup of the cinematic universe. The sequel was just like, okay, we're biding some more time till Iron Man 3. Then we finally had Iron Man 3. 
And then at the end of that, he decides, I'm going to be Iron Man no more. And then Age of Ultron happened. And he's like, yeah, I'm Iron Man again. I've never actually watched many films in the MCU. I think I watched Iron Man. That's about it. I have seen most of them. And I like to kind of smugly guffaw at the MCU. But at the same time, I have watched almost all of the films. So I don't really have much place to feel smug. I have contributed to this problem that we have now. It depends if you've been buying a bunch of Funko Pops as well. Disgusting. Don't speak that name (laughs) in my house. Have you seen that behind-the-scenes picture from the latest Spider-Man film where it's uh, Samuel L. Jackson sat in front of a green screen holding a green screen gun and then the comparison to the actual scene and it's just him sat in front of a, a normal wall holding a normal tranquilizer gun? What's the point? So that they can rejigger all these bits and bobs they filmed to suit any kind of scenario they may want. They don't make films, they assemble jigsaw puzzles, it seems. Wow, I mean, is the gun changed for Chinese audiences? Is a pro Xi Jinping <laughs> poster on the wall there? <laughs> like, what is changed? That's crazy. Oh, it, it's it's mad. And that's part of the reason why I prefer stuff like the Giver over MCU films these days, because this film absolutely had heart poured into it. It might not be the best, but actual passion and hard work went into it. The suits look amazing. The okay, Yeah, fine, it's, it's a suit. It's mainly the suits. The practical effects are fantastic in both of these movies, and they're clearly where most of the budget went. Yeah, I've really got to appreciate the Gaiva suit. It looks mm. amazing. And you've shown me pictures of it from the manga, from the anime, and it looks one-to-one. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, weirdly enough, in the in the first movie, the um, the Giver's crest is kind of after its initial transformation, she kind of is is flat against the head. But they fix that in the second one. That aside, though, it, it's shockingly kind of one to one with what the original design was, and you, it, it's bizarre to me that the Giver in 1991 is the anime adaptation that manages to do that and most others don't the fifth the north star movie did a pretty accurate costume as well but it's not a very hard costume to recreate it's it's a leather jacket without sleeves and a pauldron and a pair of trousers you really can't fault the guy for on its suit design it's oh, no. incredible and even for the zoonoid goons you can tell there was effort put into it they're capable of emoting and yes. uh, it's amazing how much you can emote with a big old pair of racist lips yeah. Not letting that go, that's just, you reminded me of this before we started recording, and it just tickled me so much. It's it, it's pretty out there. Obviously some uh, suits got more animatronics than others. Uh, Ramsey's one is just a, uh, like a, a weird elephant man thing, and he's just got a, um, a tiny trunk that moves up and down. Liskers has more going on with the lips and junk like that, and eyes... Like he blinks and junk like that. It it's neat. I like it. it looks like a giant Pachycephalosaurus. His his girlfriend's monster form is just a demonic furry with with boobs. Yeah, I did notice the breasts, and I'm thinking. I found it okay, hard to notice. Okay, you've got to you got to point out that this one is female. I'm like, it's monsters, dude. You don't really need it. I'm, I'm what are they going to do with the breasts? What's a zoonoid going to do with breasts? You going to kill impressed. someone with it? I'm impressed that they didn't make her the sexy one. Like, from a from a physique point of view, she's just as dumpy as all the others. They just gave her boobs as well. That's because Berryman's the sexy one. Yeah. 
Actually, that, the way that the suit light shines sexy. off his head. Mm. Yeah, we love you, Michael Berryman. I think he was in <laughs> Star Trek: The Next Generation. He was in one episode. He was the first Bolian on screen. Oh, really? Wow, really? He loved the makeup so much that he drove home after shooting, oh. wearing it. Oh. I think he was. I think he was picking up his girlfriend's kid from school or something, and he was stopped by the police, and he was just going like, you know, I've, I've got to go to the mothership. <laughs> Uh, that's why Blue Man Group only has three members. Yeah, look, it, if it sounds like we're talking more about about things about the film rather than the film itself, it, it's that the film doesn't really have much going for it. Oh, it's unimpressive. Um, it's just a fairly acting, generic absolutely. action superhero thing. Yes. But the elements of the film are great. The suits yes. are amazing. The same is true for the sequel. Even more effort's put into the suits there. There's so much effort put into one suit that can smirk. It's yes. only done like once, but there is a zoonoid suit that can, that can smirk. smirk. It's a wonder of puppetry, and I'm glad they allocated the budget to the right parts of both films. That's what happens when your director is also a special effects director. And is also named Screaming Mad George. Actually, Screaming Mad George didn't have anything to do with Guyver 2. It was all Steve Wang. Ah, so it was Screaming Mad Wang, Wang baby. that did the sequel. Yeah, yeah he produced and directed cool. that one. Can I talk about David Gale for a bit? Go ahead. I love David Gale as a villain. He is just so much fun to watch. He is just so creepy and evil. And he's he's just he's he's so much fun. I love him in Reanimator. It's the first thing I saw him in. And that has kind of coloured my perception on anything he could ever do again, ever. And he absolutely lives up to it in in Giver. There's a bit where he's um chastising Liska, Michael Berryman's uh, character, and because he's, uh, he's, he's a Zoa Lord, and so he can control Zoanoids. So he makes Liska mm. beat himself up, and then threatens to make him slap himself into oblivion if he fails again. And the delivery wow. is just so amazing. Like, it, the the unit is swapped out for a toaster in one scene, and when it's brought back to him, it's presented to him uh, because Liska didn't check first before handing it over. And then the next time we see him, he's got the toaster on his desk and a toast pops out when the scene's over and it's burned and he just completely loses it. David Gale is amazing and weirdly creepy and rapey in this movie as well. Like they, they he's, he's like that in Reanimate. He's very much like... No, he's not even weirdly. He's overtly rapey in that movie. Oh, Yeah. I think you could tell he had fun in Reanimator doing that sort of villain role. It's yes. really, really quite scary the way he does it, but he also does it campy. That's the thing. He can do campy and terrifying at the same time. So he plays a character called Fulton Balkus, who um, is in the original, but the original is called Barkus rather than Balkus. And is one of the kind of oldest of the Zoa Lords and has the most powerful kind of psychic abilities and junk like that. And so the bits in it where his forehead opens up and you get like this little red thing in there pulsating when he uses mind control and junk. Uh, that's a thing in the original, but that's constantly, that's permanently out on on Barkus. It's not his, um, yeah, it's not something that just pops out on occasion. Other than that, there is no similarity between the two of them they're both Kronos higher-ups but Barkus doesn't transform into a giant dragon monster thing well that's a shame yeah 
Having said that, the giant dragon monster thing does look pretty good. Oh yeah, you needed him as the proper final boss fight, otherwise it would just be a, a little boring, really, about Giver versus Old Man. Uh, his, his role has more in common with Richard Goat, which is another another Zoa Lord who uh, kind of has his own agenda going on and wants the uh, the Giver unit for himself to become the most powerful and to overthrow the other Zoa Lords and Arkenfell, the, the main Zoa Lord. But you can't really do the kinds of superhero, supervillain fights that a Giver versus a Zoa Lord kind of necessitates. In 1991, on three million dollars of budget in live action, mm. so I think having a giant dragon monster was the most impressive that they could do realistically, at least from a uh, an immediate visually striking thing. The final fight in Giver Two is way more impressive from actual quality point of view, but when you see a giant dragon, you first think, like, "Oh, hey, that's pretty impressive. That's a giant ass dragon. Sick." One um, one bad thing about this movie, I mean, there are lots of bad things about this movie, but one thing that actively hurts it, like I mentioned, um, Sean is a very, very reactive protagonist, which can work in certain contexts, but in this one it doesn't. Um, he, if you've been changed forever as kind of collateral damage in this conspiracy... Um, you you would want your character to be a bit more, I don't know, have a bit more to do, you know, be a bit more active in their own story. Um, but another thing that hand, hand, uh, bleh, another thing that hinders words do not come easily to me, unfortunately, which is uh, weird considering I do a podcast. One thing that yeah, hinders it's fine. It, <laughs> one thing that hinders it is that he has no best friend character. In the original, he has a friend called Tetsuro who is the uh, brother of Mizuki, with a U, uh, who, who is his love interest. And they kind of they go to investigate the noise in the woods, and that's when he gets the Giver unit, and that's all that happens. And Tetsuro becomes his kind of confidant character. He, he's part of the science fiction club, so he uses his background in you know, being well-versed in sci-fi tropes to kind of roughly work out what might be going on. Uh, but he just gives um, show something to someone to talk to, someone to bounce things off of, and he, I don't know, it, it's just it's more engaging when your protagonist has someone like a, a peer to talk to, because in the movie Mizki with no you is barely a character. She exists for things to happen to more so than Sean. Her father dies. She is kidnapped. She is held hostage. She is ah, terrorized every by monsters. Woman. Yeah. So her role is to get fridged. Uh, not quite. She doesn't die. But yeah, she she's even less. She's got even less going on than than Sean, and he he she's like the object of his desire. Like I said, it's not clear whether or not whether they're actually dating or not, but he's very clearly into her, and so his interactions are always kind of shady, kind of coloured by that. And his interactions with Mark Hamill, CIA agent, are kind of unequal as uneven as well because he's a CIA agent, and you know, an adult, and Sean is meant to be like in 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 college, I think, or, or something. Given casting practices, he may be in high school. You know, we know how Power Rangers goes. So if he had a best friend character like Tetsuro to kind of talk things over through, I think it would have really helped his character a bit more. But no, he doesn't have that. I think he needed a zany sidekick 
that would be great. If we didn't already have a uh, black stereotype in this film, I'd have suggested Black Sidekick, who reacts to everything like, what? Or just something to add some emotion to it. Or, yeah, just a zany sidekick, someone who just makes the quips in the background, because it's just someone to bounce ideas off. You're actively trying to make this film worse, thank you. Yes, I am. Look, it's got really nice suit design and okay-ish fight scenes. That's all that we need. We don't really care about the people. The people are boring. Yeah. Except for, you know, Messrs. Uh, Berriman, Combs, and all the other good boys. But, uh, yeah, boring McProtagonist doesn't really register on the radar for me. Yeah, this movie could have been amazing. But it wasn't, unfortunately. We we can see how good it can be in the sequel. Like it's got this really cool line, like I've been rejected by death. Like that's that's a cool line. It's it's mm. edgy, but it's cool as hell, and it does not deserve to be in this movie. It doesn't deserve to be spoken by Sean Whitebread Barker. Man, that guy is just blander than bland. It's it's like if if God created uh, a video game and you selected Caucasian, that would be your default. You know. That's kind of a limitation of trying to localize and appeal to a Western audience. And if only they just added something to make him interesting. Yes. In the very least, the trauma from the first film made him interesting in the second. Yes. Gave him more of a fear of the guy than anything else. Just a bit of PTSD. That's the only character trait that a character like that can inherit. He's not amazing in the original He's still quite reactive there, but in that, he is a high school student who is kind of forced to run away from home and is on the run quite a lot with his friends and is fighting back against a multinational, centuries-old conspiracy. It makes sense for him to just kind of go with the flow in the original because there are plenty of other people to compensate for him. In this... He he doesn't lose his home. He's just the whole thing takes place over the course of like a couple of days. And also, he's an adult. I'm, I I forgive Show for being reactive and passive. I do not forgive that of Sean because the first name use is really lazy, isn't it? How do we westernize this, Sean? It's not even anything interesting, like screaming mad, Sean. <laughs> I, I I don't mind. Now that would be fun. I don't mind their attempts to westernize it too much. Um, it's kind of a fact of life when adapting one, th- when adapting one thing from one country to another, it it's fine. I didn't quite get on board with the whole whitewashing issue with Ghost in the Shell. I mean, even the original um, director of the movie came out and said that you know even her uh, body that you see her in in the anime isn't her original body. We don't know what her original sex or race was. I understand why people take issue with it, but when you are trying to translate a story from one culture to another, you will inevitably have to change some bits to make it an easier transition. Sure, like you will get individuals who enjoy the original, but for a mass market release, you cannot blame the people holding the purse for wanting to try and play it as safe as possible. For example, Old Boy is a fantastic movie. It is an absolute work of art, and it is harrowing to watch. I like it, and I like its original Korean version. It's fine. But you can't blame producers for thinking, hang about, this movie ain't in English. 
Let's uh, let's try making a, an American version of it. The result is bad. We all agree. The result is really bad and completely misses the point in a lot of places. It is. Don't watch the American old boy. It's really terrible. Really, really bad. But you can't blame them for thinking that might be a good idea. It worked quite well in Alita Battle Angel, but then again, that that isn't a particularly culturally Japanese story. So it... Actually, I'm trying to think of... Still need to watch Alita. Do it. It's amazing. I'm trying to think of any of the main characters that are Japanese. Oh, Daisuke Ido. Yeah. I think the name would include you in there, but you never know. You could be Dutch. Um, I'm used to... Um, I'm used to the films. He's called Dyson in that, in the uh, English dub of the OVA. In the film, he's played by Christoph Waltz, who does a really good job, but he also has a rocket-powered sledgehammer. It's amazing. Let's watch that instead of doing the Giver. Oh, we're definitely doing an episode on Alita. But that moment was when I realised, hang about, this This is a movie I can like. This is a movie I can get on board with. Rocket-powered sledgehammers. That just reminds me of the absolute insanity of Metal Gear Rising. Oh. When you're making a product and they're just like, you know what, sod it, let's just do crazy. Let's let's grapple a Metal Gear Ray. Sod it. It's, it's going to look cool, therefore it's going in. Let's judo throw Metal Gear. Man, I love that game. Absolutely crazy. I wish the Gaiva films had enough budget to put some stupid scenes like that in. Just something naff. They did great with what they had. This is what I would like to change. One, zany companion. <laughs> so we've got someone for Sean Boring Face to bounce things off. And two, stupid fight scenes. You can keep in the body horror and stuff, but I want something naff. Not necessarily doing a judo throw on a giant robot, but something. I would like... Um, what, what's crazy? Chucking a car at someone? A lorry? Um... Like slicing a truck in half with those arm blades. That would be ah, cool. That'd be pretty sick. Just something like that. Something that's like, you know what? Let's just put it in because it looks cool. It's going to be silly as hell. Bollywood. I want a Bollywood version of the Giver. That's what I want. <laughs> I've now realised that Bollywood is perfect for Tokusatsu. Yes, yes, it is. So we've kind of um, exhausted the first Giver. The second Giver is way, 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 way more fun. It is so much more satisfying to watch than the second the first one because they actually tried Brian Usner was not involved so there was no kind of camp elements to it not that I've got anything against camp but in this particular context mm. you kind of you kind of want something a bit more bittersweet and dark considering that you know that's what that's what Guyver's whole shtick is yeah they showed Sean as a uh more mature character who's sort of been traumatised by the events of the first film and isn't really too keen on what he is and has nightmares about it. And it's good that it's played straight. I did enjoy how it took itself very seriously, and I also like the fact that they spent all the budget on the suits, so they just filmed in the woods. Yes. And, and one cave, one, one cave set that's also used extensively. They reused um, they reused quite a few suits from the original, not glaringly so, but and they also mm. they also reference early on. Uh, you see uh, a skull. There's very clearly Lisker's kind of model from the original, and then the Lisker model mm. is revisited later on. So it's established that you can and will get duplicate um, zoonoids. 
So that that's pretty decently woven in as well. So they reuse suits. Uh, they film out in the woods quite a lot. Uh, they've they've only created two sets, I think, for this movie, which is the cave and the inside of the relic ship. And that the the suits and the sets are absolutely where all the budget went, and they made a fantastic decision for that. Because there are long oh, yes, there are long stretches in the original where they're just out in the open on the run, so it it's not that out of the question for this whole adventure to take place in the middle of the woods in Utah. I really appreciate the new suits in the second film. As I mentioned, there is one zoonoid that smirks. There yes. is so much puppetry going on, so it can... They've properly rigged it up so that it can speak, and it can emote, and it's just the fact that they made it smirk. I think when we were watching it, we had to go back to that scene just to keep seeing it. Yeah. I, we saw it a couple of times, and it, I think it only happens once. Yes. After he's done talking to Sean, and he just smirks at the end, and it's just a perfect way of getting that character's motive through well, it, as it, the schemer. It makes it elevates it from a man in a rubber suit to an actual character, even if it's yes. only used once. That only needs to be used once. It, it's that little little character moment that it, it, it's just it, it's it's good. That's all I can say. It's good. It like 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 you mentioned, we had to go back and rewatch it a couple of times first to make sure that we were seeing it right, and then again just to appreciate it. And this movie was made on like a a fifth of of the budget. It was made for an estimated, I will clarify, budget of nine hundred thousand dollars, or in wow, money, under a million is yeah, in today's money, it's one million five hundred ninety three. Thousand six hundred and seventy, sorry, six hundred ninety-seven dollars and eighty-two cents. I think one of the problems is is that the budget for a story that was being told in the film wasn't going to cut it. I mean, they mentioned the aliens in this one. It's a very grand thing. It increases the scope, and what we get a scene near the end demonstrating all the alien stuff, and that's about it. And it just feels like it shouldn't really be the focus of the film. It should be something in the background or only hinted at. But I appreciate well, their that's, attempt that's to show the plot, but it just seems... That's how it is in the original. Really? The, the plot in the original isn't the aliens. That's the backstory. The well, no, it's more the fact that they try to cram in so much of the backstory into the sequel. It just feels oh, like... I appreciate that. It just makes... They do mention it in the original. He talks about aliens near the end of the second film. Like, he's talking to the human characters about, oh yeah, aliens did it. It kind of diminishes the focus of the guy, it just makes him seem a little smaller. I, I see, I completely disagree. I, I like that. I like, in a cosmic sense, everything that happens in the Giver is completely unimportant because there's this massive war going on in space between powers way more powerful than us and anything that happens on earth even when it involves the zoa lords is completely insignificant and unimportant i i, I enjoy that so that, that's probably just a okay, personal taste thing but i just good I, I, I kind of like it i think it gives it a more unique um kind of identity as for a story when even in its own universe 
cosmically speaking, there is way more going on than any of them are able to comprehend or even observe, but are kind of aware of parts of it. I'd agree with you fully on that. If the aliens had more to do with the plot, so they weren't just, oh yeah, they created everything, then left it after their monkeys got loose. I mean, they, they, they may well become more involved later on down the line, but um, the manga hasn't done anything for that yet that I've seen. I, I looked into it. There's nothing more. It's just they are... It's explained what they did and what they're kind of doing, but they've not got any direct involvement anymore. I'm just impressed that they actually touched on the law. You know, with these kind of adaptations, you wouldn't really expect them to. Mm, it was a very ambitious sequel. Yeah, I honestly think that it kind of achieved everything it set out to. The basic plot of it is it's fairly simple. David Hayter is now Sean Barker, and apparently liked the role so much that he used Sean Barker as a pseudonym for a bunch of other roles and pitched a really? uh, third... Yeah, yeah, he pitched a third film to Sean Wang. Not Sean Wang. Um, Steve Wang. Steve Wang. Yes, names. He pitched a third movie to Steve Wang because, uh, on top of being an accomplished voice actor, uh, David Hayter is also a, an accomplished screenwriter. He did the screenwrite, uh, did the screenplay for Watchmen and at least X Men Two, maybe X Men One as well. Wow, I didn't know that. But by that, I thought he was oh, just yeah. the voice of Snake. No, he's done way more, my man. Wow. By that point, unfortunately, the rights had kind of defaulted back to the original rights holders, so they didn't, they they weren't able to make a third one. It's nice that David Hayter kind of enjoys this role so much. You can tell he put effort into this because Sean is way more engaging. So it starts with him um, basically being Ben Affleck's daredevil, like hunting people down and killing them and then signing his name after each one. Like he uses his his forehead beam laser to write the Giver on the um, on the wall after wow. he's done beating everyone to a pulp. It really is like that scene in um, Ben Affleck's Daredevil where he, he beats a guy up and kills him on the railway track and then writes DD in lighter fluid and s someone can set it on fire later. That's a dumb movie. That film definitely came out at the wrong time. Superhero films were still getting an idea of how they can be good. I would say it came out at exactly the right time. Have you seen that movie lately? It is an absolute mess and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the series version of it like? Dull. I watched seasons one and two, and they were incredibly dull. Anything with the Punisher in, in season two was good. Mm. But other than that, the series is just kind of dull. Which is unfortunate, because I really like Daredevil. The Kingpin was decently done. That was the uh, mini Hispanic Power Armor review of Daredevil. It's kind of dull. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Sean Barker is is plagued by uh, like PTSD, psychic nightmares of pod-like ships and stuff like that. And then he sees on this weird tabloid conspiracy urban legend program that he watches um, a thing about a werewolf attack in Utah. And then he sees a copy of cave paintings that mirror what he's been drawing. So he hitchhikes over to over to the dig site in Utah. And manages to talk his way um, onto the site by um, convincing the daughter of the guy in charge uh, to let him tag along and sneak in. And I've got to say, Corey, um, the, the character I just mentioned, is way, way more interesting than Mizki ever was. Because she actually has 
dreams and ambitions and goals and a character. For a female character? Whoa, that's ahead of its time. She she does get kidnapped, but she has more going on. Like she, she wants she and her father are these kind of ancient alien type uh, archaeologists, and they've kind of been blacklisted from the academic community for it. And so she is determined to make this dig work and prove that they were right all along and stuff like that. And it's it's not the most complex motivations, but it is motivations. It is a goal that she has and that she works towards. And it makes her way more engaging. Isn't that partly character. the premise of Young Gary as well for that archaeologist lady? I don't care. <laughs> it could very well be, but I do not, cannot, and will not care. We have talked about that movie and never shall again. Well, at least the aliens make more sense in Guy the Dark Hero. Yes. Yes, they do. Because they don't even turn up. Despite my opinions on the second Guyver film, on including all the alien stuff in it, to be honest, I have no complaints properly with this film. It's a good film. It's entertaining. It's got a structure that makes sense. It's got characters that are engaging. It's got action scenes that are fun. It's just there. It simply is. It's a good film. It's a decent adaptation of a manga, which is rare. It's a nice tokusatsu film. It's just quite obscure. In the uh, in the interest of being fair and balanced, um, my biggest complaint about this movie is the pacing is a bit off. It, it starts drags. out fairly slow. Oh, it, it, it drags quite a lot in the middle. Because you get no real action sequences, you you get a lot of people just standing around or digging and talking about stuff, and it, it it's it's like two hours long. It doesn't really need to be two hours long. They could probably cut a decent amount out of this movie without hurting it. If I wanted to see David Hater running around the woods all the time, I'd have just played Metal Gear Solid Three. <laughs> Unfortunately, this isn't Amazon's. We can't see him eat his monsters. <laughs> now that would be cool. I love how canonically Big Boss is the first person to find a Tsuchinoko uh, and then he eats it. I want to play Metal Gear Solid 3 now. I've still never played it, nor Peace Walker. Ooh, I really like Peace Walker. It's definitely a PSP game, but it, it's fun. I like the story. The Hidden Boss has an anime song, theme song, when you fight it. Oh, cool. When you, when you look at it like that. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance really wasn't too far out of left field, was it? <laughs> Could never really get into Metal Gear stuff properly because, frankly, the plot was a bit silly. It didn't make sense. I know that Kojima um, sort of intentionally did it that way because he loves uh, Western action movies, so based it all off that, but it's still just a little bit silly. Yeah, yes, it's silly, but that's part of the appeal for me. I like the juxtaposition of this very grim, serious, expansive conspiracy thriller that is told through the lens of a goofy, silly action game, where one moment you can have someone getting you know, getting horribly tortured, and in the other one, someone's complaining about you know, diarrhea, and you can exploit that to escape your cell and stuff like that. Good old Johnny Wait, Really? Yeah, there is a recurring character in the Metal Gear games who becomes very important in the fourth one. Uh, his lineage, rather, is is present. Johnny Sasaki and his forebears uh, are plagued with IBS, 
and so their bowel movements are rather unfortunate for them. Like, uh, it, you can come across a character in MGS3 who is Johnny's father, or maybe his grandfather, and you can use that to exploit your um, escape because he's on the toilet and he's he's, he's doing something nasty. Um, but then when you meet... Um, you can meet Johnny in MGS1. He's the character who Meryl steals the uniform from. So when you break out of your cell and you see the guy you know, face down naked with his uniform stolen, that's Johnny Sasaki. And then he comes back in MGS4 um, and is incredibly important because he's one of the few people who hasn't been um, given the nanomachine injections because he's scared of needles, and so he's one of the few people who hasn't been affected by the Sons of the Patriot system, and who hasn't been decommissioned, and it, this joke character that never had a name, or even a proper face, becomes this important... It, it's, I love Metal Gear so much. That's a very unfortunate character. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm impressed it took us this long, in an episode that features David Hayter as a talking point for us to get locked into a Metal Gear tangent, but it happened. We held out longer than uh, I thought we would. Yeah, especially, well, if he were in the first film, we would have made a lot more Metal Gear references. Oh yeah, absolutely. It would probably be one of the first things we mentioned. But if he were in the first film, it would probably be more engaging because he is a much better actor. It, it It's good. It's got very. It, it's got a lot of decent elements. Uh, Mizki is briefly seen at the beginning, and you get the sense that she's actually kind of scared of Sean, because he started becoming this kind of vigilante by night, and then later on, when he um, kind of transforms and fights monsters to defend Corey, uh, initially she's kind of scared of him as well, and those are quite decent moments. They're exactly the kind of thing I like, where you've got this tragic hero who is feared almost by the people he saves just as much as the monsters he kills I like that kind of thing uh, they introduce some elements from the manga but don't directly adapt them so they, um, they take the Mount Minakami arc of the original uh, and then adapt bits from that so in that bit um, the, the, the boys the team uh, come across a mountain that is a secret Kronos base of operations and is built around a, a spaceship exactly like the one in this film and they, they kind of infiltrate the lower levels and meet up with a resistance kind of movement within Kronos and kind of team up with them and also you also see um, cave paintings that feature Giver 0, 1, 2 and 3 you only see Giver 1 and a kind of adaptation of Giver 2 because um, Crane, the main villain who we mentioned being the, the smirking Zoonoid that's not all there is to him but he, he finds, oh, he yeah. receives a damaged Giver unit from the ship and equips it. And it turns him into the Giver Zoonoid, which isn't in the original, but it is amazing. It's a beautiful suit. It looks so it cool. It is fantastic. And th this, this Crane character is more Lisker than Lisker is in the original. Because he's this kind of overseer from Kronos who uses a damaged Giver unit and is eventually consumed by it. Liska doesn't really do much in the in the manga. I know that much. Liska only turns up for like one fight and then he's he's killed. In the anime, he, he he's there for much much longer uh, to create like this kind of initial rival for our hero until Giver three turns up. 
Ooh. In fact, actually, I'd like to take this moment to say that while Gaiva was heavily inspired by Togsetsu of the 80s, mostly Kamen Rider, it actually predicted uh, and did a lot of tropes that Kamen Rider would come to use first. Ooh, do tell. So a secondary, a secondary rider wasn't so much of a thing. We had Rider Man and Tackle, but Rider Man was introduced like 15 episodes from the end, and Tackle... Um, isn't so much like a secondary rider. She's just like an equal partner. She isn't even classified as a common rider, even though she meets all the requirements for it. I will not stop pushing this issue. She is absolutely a common rider. So they, so Gaiva 3 is introduced as a kind of sort of rival ally type who later becomes, um, later becomes a villain. He's only allied with the heroes out of prag- uh, pragmatism and completely hides his evil intentions, because he wants to take over the world as well. Uh, but he also wants to beat Kronos because they have currently taken over the world. Um, you've got villains, okay. uh, you've got a someone defecting from the, the villain side and becoming one of the heroes and fighting alongside them. That's not at all a unique plot, but in this kind of context, in, in the way that it is done with Aptom, it is, it's quite Carmen Rider-y. I'm explaining this horribly. I started out pretty decently. Watch Giver. The 2005 anime is fine. It was made in a time where digital anime was first starting and they hadn't quite gotten it down how to make it look great. So it looks a bit flat, like early 2000s anime tends to. But in in terms of story, it's fine. So just, just watch that and you, you'll, you'll understand. I'm going to kind of argue with that in that I really don't like the dependence on 3D elements in modern anime. I agree with you on paper. I, I say this to you a lot, I think. Um, yes, if, you, if, you, if you're talking about just like cars in the background, then yeah, I get you. But I do think that it's a necessary evil because 3D anime is the future. Maybe not exclusively, but it is going to be a much bigger factor in anime going forwards and so we need to stop throwing a fit whenever they introduce uh, cell shaded cgi in anime because they need to get good at doing it i just didn't like it that much like with the ultraman series on netflix it's just so it's got such a low frame rate that it just looks a bit naff i'm just thinking but compare that to compare that to b stars and this is exactly why I say that we need to let them use 3D anime pieces. Yes, Ultraman and Inuyashiki look really bad, but Beastars looks really, really good. And so we need them to learn how to do that really, really good more often, if you see what I mean. So you're you're kind of like a playing the long game. You're waiting for it to oh, yeah. get commonly very good. Like I said, digitally painted anime looked really flat, boring, dull, and just not great to begin with. But now you get some really beautiful ones. Um, like I said, uh, if you look at any clip from Gaiva, the 2005 series, it's fine, but it's very flat and unengaging. Compare that to a Makoto Shinkai movie, where the digital animation is amazing, especially the backgrounds. You'll see what I mean. You need them to cut their teeth on things early on, so you can get masterpieces later. Which is why I'm completely pro uh, 3D elements in anime. Because you don't want them to spend all... I mean, like the um, the Space Battleship Yamato anime I've been watching, the, the recent one. Uh, all the ships, all the weapons and stuff like all the big yeah, super weapons and spaceships and fighters they're all cgi because there is absolutely no way that you can reliably animate something that detailed 
uniquely all the time. If you make it a, a 3D model that you can move around, it frees up some time and processing power for animating the 2D things, like the characters that actually matter. It's nice when I get these moments to prove that I'm not some kind of Puritan stuck in the past, you know? I, I, can, I can be forward-thinking sometimes as well. Yeah, you're not an unreasonable weeb. Wow, that was a, that was a big old tangent. You should let me talk about anime more. Look, there this is a Tokusatsu podcast, not anime. Keep your Chinese cartoons yeah, out of it. But my Mongolian woodcuts. <laughs> 4chan has corrupted um, yeah, you. The Giver 2 Dark Hero or Giver Dark Hero or Giver 2. It, it's been Electric names, Boogaloo. Actually. Ele- Giver 2 Electric Boogaloo. Well, no, no, that's... Giver 2 Bio Boosted Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, the problem with that gag, though, is that Electric Boogaloo connotes a sequel that's unnecessary. I mean, this is a, this, it's a very good sequel. Yeah, the prequel was unnecessary. This is this is the main one. If you want, yeah, uh, to boil down my basic feelings on this, and this is basically my whole review condensed as much as I can. Watch Giver Two if you want a good Giver movie. Watch Giver One if you like Brian Usner stuff and just. Want to see Jeffrey Combs cameo? I guess if you're a Giver fan, watch Giver Two. Do it for Jeffrey. What I'm saying. I mean, that's basically uh, the most succinct way I can explain my feelings on this. Giver Two is genuinely a good Tokusatsu movie. It is a fantastic adaptation and localization of uh, of a manga. It's it's shocking that Giver got that. Uh, Giver One is a curiosity. And it should be viewed as such. It shouldn't be... You shouldn't sit down to watch Giver 1 expecting to have a fulfilling experience unless you're watching it as a curiosity. It seems like something that you'd show to a friend to say, oh yeah, they made a live-action version of this manga. It was a little awkward in parts. You could tell if it was put in, but it is very much a curiosity, as you said. I mean, they're both worth checking out. Arrow has a very good release of... Guy for one, um, it's got Blu-ray and DVD. It's not got very many special features, but it, it looks nice. It's a decent set, and it's not that expensive. Uh, Guy for two has not had a recent release for ages, but you can track down old DVDs of it for dead cheap. I got mine for like five quid on Amazon. Uh, no one but me really loves this movie. Apparently, Guy gets no love. There, you get some. There are some old fig- figmas for it, and I really want one, but they're super expensive. But I really want one. Same with that Gauss Figma I found. It looks really good. But it's super expensive and I can't justify spending that much money on a Figma. Have you tried selling a kidney? Look, I'm down to... I'm, I'm on permanent dialysis. You've seen some of the figures I've got. <laughs> dude, lungs, dude. Ah, sick. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. You can live on one lung. You're just going to need to carry around a hand pump the whole time. Some bellows. Yes. <laughs> Actually... Ah, uh, that was already a Whitest Kid You Know sketch. Was it? Yeah. Well, it's sort of it's along the same vein. It was the um, guy who was bitten by the shark and got shark superpowers. <laughs> but he's just a torso now. And he has to re-manually pump I, his lungs. I think I remember. I haven't seen the Whitest Kids You Know in so long. Oh, it'll probably be uploaded to YouTube at some point. Ever since uh, Trevor Moore started doing his little web show thing. It then That then turned into webcam chats with every member of the group. And what they do now is they have a YouTube video where they discuss specific sketches, and then they also upload um, HD versions of those sketches, which is great because we're finally getting everything in HD. I can, I can see Sex Robot in 1080p. I'm happy. 
A uh, little mini review. Watch the whitest kids you know. They're amazing. Yes. I'm so glad they're all friends still. So now it's time for my second go on Get Me Into It. So what are you getting me into now? Is it a cult? Potentially, yes. Ooh, yay! Anything else I need to do? Do I need to um, shave my face or get a tattoo or something? Change my name to uh, Screaming Mad Rex? Well, uh, just I need to go down to the subway. You'll find a plastic bag left there. I need to stab it with an umbrella and then leave. Uh, no, this time I'm trying to get you into... I mean, technically you've already done a bit of it, but I'm going to convince you to get back into or continue Yakuza. Oh, yeah. I checked out. I, I checked your Steam profile. You've only played like six hours of Yakuza Kiwami. You need to play more, my man. Get into it. Immerse yourself in it. <laughs> You've been stalking my Steam profile. Yes, because I planned this. I was specifically intended to choose Yakuza as this week's get me into it for me. And I wanted to be precise. So yeah, like six hours you've played of it. That's nothing. Waste lifetime. This is just turning into you roasting me for not properly playing Yakuza. Yeah. Great. This is what happened last time I tore into you for you never having read Pratchett. And so, yeah, (laughs) I guess this is my comeuppance. Yes, it is. This is what you you get. You. You know, you know, you you play like you've played part of the original, damn it, the uh, the remake of the first Yakuza game. You know what it's about, basically. So I don't have I don't yeah. see the groundwork too much on that. But for the benefit of the people listening at home, Yakuza is a very serious crime drama. <laughs> <laughs> you play as Kazuma Kiryu, the Dragon of Dojima, a legendary Yakuza enforcer who never quite got the memo on what Yakuza do. I am convinced that Kiryu is developmentally stunted. He has... I don't think he's progressed past age 16 or so, because he still thinks that the Yakuza are this kind of honourable modern-day ronin outlaw types, you know? And doesn't quite get that he's actually meant to be you know, involved in a lot of shady stuff. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't, been, he hasn't been Yakuza since, like, the beginning. Like, no, maybe partway through the middle of Yakuza 1. After that, he's just Yakuza adjacent. He just keeps getting dragged back into it. And the uh, the title oh, of okay. this series in Japanese isn't even Yakuza, it's Yuga Gotoku, or Like a Dragon. That makes a lot more sense, but I guess since we discussed applying things to Western audiences, Yakuza would make a little more sense to communicate the setting to them. Yeah, it 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 kind of keys you into what the uh, the dealio is a bit more quickly than like a dragon, especially since uh, Western mm. sensibilities and Eastern ones differ quite a bit when it comes to dragons. Uh, we slay dragons over here. Uh, over in the East, they're more revered and respected. Yeah, no, Yakuza, it's really good. You should play more. You've got you've got it on Steam. You can. Yakuza has never been more plenty, you know, more plentifully accessible than it is now. Everything oh, yes. is on I PS4. Mean, what, I know you don't um, have that. There's no. Kiwami 2, there's Zero. Any more that are PC-based? So basically, you can play all the mainline ones now on PS4. Uh, they are all, as far as I'm aware, coming out on PC um, afterwards as well. So you've got the first two Kiwamis and Zero on PC, like you said. Uh, you can absolutely... Uh, but by the time they get you get through those, the... A remastered trilogy of three, four, and five would probably come out. Surprised it didn't bring six out, actually. Wow. But, you know, it's it's a long, it's a long-running series. You'll have plenty to keep you engaged with it. The characters are just fantastic. 
Once you play so much Kiwami, get me into it. Zero. It's more you just saying, for the love of God, play Yakuza so we can talk about Yakuza stuff. Yeah, I really want to talk about Yakuza. I can talk to um, Jack, our friend Jack, about Yakuza, but I think he's only played like the first game. Or may- maybe he's played a bit of Zero. I'll have to check. But he's not played as much as I have. Even then, I've not played that much. I'm still going through three at the moment. There's a lot to do in Yakuza Don't games. worry, There's he's read the TV content. tropes page for Yakuza, I'm certain. This is a, an inside joke of ours that no one uh, no one else will get. <laughs> we love you, Jack, but for we're the love of God, you, we're stop, calling looking you out, Jack. Up, stop looking at spoilers on TV tropes. Just enjoy consuming product. <laughs> and then get excited for new product. Yes. Um, anyway, back to the uh, MCU. <laughs> no, yes, absolutely play more Yakuza. You, you have the opportunity. It will cost you nothing. What was I doing in Yakuza? I'm I'm at that point now where I'm in the sandbox and I don't really want to do anything that precedes the plot. I want to get all the side stuff done. So I've just discovered the cars, well, the little slot... What's the term? Slot cars? Uh, yeah, slot car racing. Yeah, you slot car racing. Circuit. And also I've been avoiding a lot of Majima encounters. I'm like, oh, God, because I'm just too weak no. right now. You need to do your Majima everywhere. You need to do that. I, I'm try. I do try, but sometimes I'm. I've just got so little health. I'm like, nope. What you need to do is you need to empty your inventory and just fill it up with healing items. I do. Uh, it is a good game. I do yeah, enjoy no. the combat. I. The only reason for me having not played it was actually when. When did you get me that game? Did I get you that? No, is it you or Jack? I know, I'm going to scroll down to my Steam library right now. Yakuza, Yakuza. It, it sounds like the kind of thing I would have got you. Oh, hey, it's still actually installed. June 1st, 2019. Wow. Dude. Yeah, birthday present. Finish it. Um, I'd sort of argue yep. that I was depressed during that period. I was still getting off um, a breakup, so yeah. I'll return to it. I'm depressed right now. What's your excuse? I am playing The Surge 2. I've got cyborgs to decapitate. <laughs> so, this concludes our very special episode. The guy of a... Yeah, it's obscure enough for the first film to be a cute little curio. And the second film is surprisingly good. If you want a perfect example of a tokusatsu adaptation of manga, a western one at that, done right, I would recommend watching it. The suit design is amazing, even for the early 90s. It's shocking how good it is and how accurate it is. It, I would go so far as to say it was peng. Peng. <laughs> that term went out of style years ago. I only found it recently. I was young once. Once. Okay, boomer. Yeah, no, yak- uh, damn it, I'm still on Yakuza. <laughs> You're in Yakuza mode. My... <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to shift into Yakuza mode. <laughs> ah, what are your thoughts on the Gaiva listeners? Are you moderately interested in it? Have you watched it? Are you aware of the source material? Do you have any strong thoughts for or against it? We'd like to know. We're genuinely curious because this is one of the things that is rare enough that you'd barely find anyone in certain communities who knows of it. So please, tell us your opinions. Uh, You can reach us via Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and we need to come up with some more things for people to bother us on. Try an Instagram. Tumblr. (laughs) Tumblr. OnlyFans. We'll make an OnlyFans. 
we'll have to figure out which specific fetish we need to cater to. Spandex. Spandex. Right. Just get some kigurumis in, just wear those. Only if we get to wear the doll heads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my favourite part is disgusting you. You've got cold eyes, like a kigurumi's eyes. I'd watch Jaws, but it's every scene with the shark is replaced by something like that. <laughs> oh, that would make the movie so so much better. Just just that one change, just that one little change. You just get a very wet person. <laughs> Dead eyes, like a Funko Pop's eyes. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think you can actually get a Jaws Funko Pop. When will oh. this end? Oh God. Yeah. Well, we all know that Funko Pops will be with us forever and will never end, unlike this podcast, which is ending right now. Again, please tell us your thoughts on the Giver. This is Rex signing out. I used to have a catchphrase, but I don't have one anymore, because I'm cool now. Yeah, we're above that lame stuff. Branding, what's that? Catch you on the flip side, suckers. That's my new catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs>